My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of SME VC, I sit down with Yvonne Montoya. Yvonne Montoya is Latin America's super angel. He's invested in over 50 companies, typically seed and series A in Latin America, in the fintech, prop tech, as well as logistics and commerce space, including Jeeves, Budology, Brenta, just to name a few. Yvonne is also a visiting partner at Latitude and an angel fellow at On Deck. Yvonne earned a Bachelor's of Arts in Economics from Harvard and a Master's in Education, as well as an MBA, both from Stanford. In this episode of SMEVC, we discussed why VCs should help solve the credit crunch in Latin America, how his rubric for investment and timeline have shifted over the past few years, what it's like being a Latin American investor living in Silicon Valley, and how Yvonne attracts such great deal flow. We discussed all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Okay, Yvonne, could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about your work history up to and including your current role as a LATAM super angel investor? Sure, sure. So I'm originally from Colombia, moved here when I was very young, uh, would go back and forth uh, from the U.S. and Colombia growing up. Uh, then in the late early 90s, uh, you know, things in Colombia got very uh, difficult, right? A lot of violence. So I didn't go back to Colombia for almost 25 years. And in between, ended up making my way out to Silicon Valley, ended up working in a lot of startups, um, lots of uh, very interesting experiences, both at, at pure startups as well as uh, some public tech companies. I go back to Latin America in 2013 after almost 24, 25 years. Um, and things were better, but not the way I remembered. I went back in 2018 and things were just radically better. I went to Medellin, Cartagena, Bogota, and I got home and I reached out to a buddy of mine who's a venture partner at Excel. And I said to him, look, we, I, I don't know what China was like in 99 or 2000, but I think Latin America is at an inflection point and we got to back some tech companies. And literally six months later, he gets a cold inbound request from a Colombian founder. Um, he says, oh, you're from Colombia. You need to meet you on. And uh, they came out to Menlo Park. Uh, and I put in a, a small angel check and started uh, looking to help them raise money. And that was sort of the beginning of my journey. And so over the last four years, I uh, have made 40 investments in seed or pre-seed uh, stage tech companies in Latin America. And... Um, uh, maybe right in the middle of the pandemic, decided like this is what I wanted to spend all my time doing, wrapped up my work at my last startup and have been doing this full time for the last couple of years. I love it. Thank you for that background. I want to know a little bit more about your investment thesis on those 40 companies you've invested thus far and what you're going to do going forward. Yeah, so I have focused as an angel in three areas, uh, fintech, uh, prop tech and logistics and commerce enabled by innovation and logistics. And um, my thesis is that those are three huge sectors of the economy with massive issues and frictions that can be uh, help solve with technology, right? So whether in the fintech space, there's so many people that are unbanked, there's so much, uh, many transactions that are still cash or highly analog, uh, whether it's B2B or consumer, um, there's massive credit crunch across the board, again, whether you're consumer or B2B. Uh, and those are all spaces that technology can make a big difference. In real estate, you know, uh, trying to figure out what an apartment cost uh, is like the Wild West, uh, lots of bad data, access to capital, again, whether it's mortgage loans or other uh, types of financing, 
just things that in the US we take for granted. Uh, Latin America, I think, is 20, 30 years behind in all areas where there's precedent for technology making a big difference. And then on the logistics and uh, commerce side, uh, Latin America's had probably the biggest rise in e-commerce, I think, globally, just in terms of growth rate and sustained usage. But yet it's also home to you know, several of the most congested cities in the world. Uh, it does not have, it's a super fragmented supply chain, super fragmented delivery system. So I think all of that is, is lots of opportunities to make uh, improvements. And so Yvonne, you've been a part of some of the earliest rounds of some of Latin America's most well-known VC-backed companies, including Jeeves, Foodology, Trenta, just to name a few. How do you get access to such excellent deal flow? Yeah, it's, you know, it's all about building the network. You know, I I like to think that, uh, especially Spanish-speaking Latin America, where I focus, it to me reminds me of what uh, Silicon Valley was in the 70s, right? So you actually, you know, um, if you put in the right work, you can build a pretty big founder network. Um, uh, and there, there are a couple of key players in the ecosystem that that I was lucky enough to get involved with or align myself with early on. Uh, but it's all about the network. I mean, there's just no way around it. You got to spend time building it, right? So early on, uh, when I was uh, helping the team at PickUp raise money, I was lucky enough to meet uh, a co-investor named Peter Livingston. He was launching a syndicate on AngelList, uh, or he had launched one. And this was maybe an early investment in Latin America. We got along really well. And it turns out that Peter went to business school at the same time as David Velez, uh, Dilip from Jeeves. Uh, I think the Uribe brothers from Colombia and Peter, I've you know worked with him for the last four years on maybe 10, 15 companies. Uh, he's awesome, right? So sometimes a little bit of luck goes a long way. Um, I spend a lot of time meeting a lot of founders. I spend a lot of time helping a lot of founders, even way beyond the ones that I invest in. Um, and I think that has, has served me well. Um, and then just being super involved in the ecosystem. So I was an early LP in, in Latitude or Brian Reckworth's rolling fund. I've uh, been a big part of that community. I think they're doing great things. The team at Newtopia, Diego Noriega, I've backed a few companies from Newtopia. Uh, so it's just being, being you know, supportive in the entire ecosystem. I think you have one of the coolest personal brands I've ever come across, this title, LATAM Super Angel. How did, how did that come about? Um, that was kind of a funny story. I think um, well, well, the actual name, I think, uh, I think I updated my LinkedIn profile with this after I went through the Angel Fellowship at Latitude. And at the end, there was kind of a vote uh, amongst all the angels in that group, uh, whatever it was like at the end. And I was voted the super angel. So I'm like, ah, oh, that, that sounds pretty good. But I think that there's a notion in Silicon Valley. I think the original super angel is a guy named Ron Conway who back in the 90s, uh, I think was in early 2000, invested in a lot of companies that otherwise at that point, there really weren't any angels, right? And then you've got Jason Calacanis and others afterwards. And uh, I was strongly influenced uh, by what they did in the ecosystem here in the Valley uh, and trying to do something similar in Latin America. You mentioned you were an early LP in Brian's rolling fund. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about, you know, your your partnership with Latitude and your current role as visiting partner? Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I uh, I heard Brian Reckworth being interviewed with um, Fabrice from FJ Labs on the podcast, uh, and I I listened to 
a lot of podcasts and consume a lot of content. And so I discovered his podcast and I'm like, this guy's incredible. I think I listened to him for like six hours straight catching up on old podcasts. And so I go to reach out, you know, just what the hell, reach out, see if I can make a connection with Brian. I find a, a, a page on, on the Latitude website or Angel List that he launched a fund and I put in a check. And then um, uh, he reaches out to me and, and my, my interest at that time was just, there's almost this conversation around deal flow, just being able to see companies and see what he was doing, see what his team was doing. And over time that just grew organically, started having WhatsApp messages. I started introducing founders that I, I backed to him for his advice. Cause he's, you know, he's an OG in the space in terms of uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, and he's been super kind to me. And uh, then over time I met, uh, other folks on the team, Tommy, Marcial, other folks on the investment team did the Angel Fellowship. And then uh, back in November, December, there were three of us who were visiting partners um, who helped Latitude. They'd recently done a, a kind of a batch form of investing like YC, where they looked at a lot of companies in, in, in a group as a cohort. And, uh, and we helped uh, kind of review and meet with some of the early founders. And for me, it was great both because, you know, uh, I'm a big supporter of Latitude, but also um, they tend to invest er even earlier than I invest. Uh, so they're really, really at the very beginning. And I tend to invest maybe when companies have three to six months of uh, post-launch. And so for me, it was great, you know, just to basically see the pipeline ahead of me. I'm gonna ask a quick follow-up. So when you when you interact with companies that are three to six months post-launch, what do you do to help them from a portfolio support uh, type role? Uh, are you saying when I meet somebody cold or after I've invested or what? After uh, you've invested. Okay. Um, look, I, I sort of, there's kind of a phrase that I've learned later in life about meeting people where they are. And that's kind of how I approach uh, how I work with founders, right? So there are some founders where, they're ready to go, you know, and, and I'm just lucky to have had an opportunity to meet them and invest. And if they are ready to go, then I, uh, I really focus all my effort on helping them raise the next round. And so in some cases, if founders are very polished, they're executing, then I immediately start to introduce them to other co-investors that I think would be interested in their business. Um, oftentimes I'll work with them around their pitch. Uh, and thinking about, uh, you know, I have conviction on the business, but my goal is to help other people get conviction on what they're doing. Uh, and so oftentimes in the first month, I'll do a lot with them around their pitch, uh, thinking about their strategy. Um, and then in other cases, it's about traction. Like, you know, I, I backed a, a founder, uh, a few, I've only done four out of the 40 were pre-launch and one of them was super early. And in that case, the founder, you know, said, look, we need traction <laughs> before you can raise the next round. You need a lot of traction. So a lot of work on, you know, just being there for them, uh, giving input on the strategy and, and some, some suggestions. I'd say the other thing is just a lot of best practices because I've met so many companies. I've worked with so many companies. I can kind of tell them, hey, this is why I've, I've seen something like this work really well when you tell your story, Right. Or are investors going to ask you these questions, guaranteed? So we need to have answers, right? Um, but a lot of sharing of best practices. So, and, and what are those crazy attributes that you like that would allow you to invest in a company pre-launch or, or take a risk on maybe a first-time founder? What are those things that you love to see when evaluating companies? 
Yeah, so, you know, the last, uh, over the four-year cycle that I've been investing, you know, the, the environment has changed dramatically, right? Two years ago, um, or what are we, 2023? So 2020, 2021, the beginning of 2021, there were times when you had to make a decision on whether to invest, literally like in hours or days, a max. Now that things have gotten kind of a, maybe the pendulum swung the other way, for me to invest pre-launch, Honestly, I have to be working with the founder probably for three months before you know, I get to know them. I spend a lot of time with a lot of founders that are in that pre-launch state uh, and work with them probably once a week for three months, you know, meeting with them or, or some some period of, of building the relationship and understanding what they do. So that's kind of a prerequisite for me at this point. I mean, there, there might be an exception going forward, but, but I think now I, I spend a lot of time getting to know them. Um, I think if they have, uh, uh, in, in all those cases, it was either uh, the founder, there was something special about the founder, had to be. Either this was their third go, you know, and, and they're super experienced. And I'm like, wow, they've got an amazing vision. Uh, I trust their ability to execute. Um, and the other thing, I think it, it really is, I'm old school. So unit economics, all of that, right? So if it's a simple business, huge market, very clear uh, unit economics and kind of path to profitability, um, then I'm in. But but it's very it's very rare for me. Just the main issue is like the biggest challenge that that people have at that stage is actually shipping product. And no amount of PowerPoint or whatever is going to show you that. It's just them actually launching a product and then having a product that people care about. So, um, so that's hard, you know, and, and it's hard as an investor, it's hard as a founder. That's why I respect founders so much. So I typically don't do it, but, but if I've got a relationship with the founder, I see them execute, uh, and they're going after a big market that in a way that could be profitable, then that gets me excited. I like that answer. And, and that last word ties into my next question. I want to take it to a, a, a broader question. What are you most excited about right now? Okay, that's actually pretty funny. So it's actually this very issue. The fact that everybody is so focused now on unit economics and profitability. I think two years ago, I might meet a company and I'm thinking like, wow, this is awesome. But like, holy cow, they're burning cash so much, right? And so you just get uncomfortable. It's a game of chicken at that point. And now I think, um, you know, if, if from the very beginning, the founders, the investors, and everybody who's supporting that initial team is really thinking about building a business that can last, mm -hmm. then you're going to have A, I think more businesses that do survive, mm -hmm. and B, ultimately more impact, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really believe in in what um, the folks from YC talk about this idea of being default alive or default dead. And if you are just, you know, you have no way of being profitable, then you're just counting mm -hmm. on uh, somebody to bail you out uh, the next round of investors. And so I'm actually excited that everybody's aligned around that now. That's very interesting. I appreciate that. Um, after your bachelor's at Harvard, you earned, your you earned your master's in education and MBA from Stanford. And now you reside in Menlo Park, California. How does your geographical, geographical location in the heart of Silicon Valley aid in your work as a VC? Yeah, I, I originally thought this was going to be the biggest problem or liability I would have in, in investing in Latin America, mainly because I thought I wouldn't get access, but it's turned out to be my biggest asset. And I think I think the it's benefited me in, in a couple of ways, some kind of more qualitative, right? 
so one is mindset. So um, just being here since 1995, um, you just, you know, you, you hear all the stories, you kind of know all the different success patterns for tech founders. And um, I think one of the biggest things I learned was never to underestimate anybody, right? So I go in fresh eyes, listening. And I think from what I gather, you know, historically in Latin America, the role of the VC or the investor was very much hierarchical, right? It was like, you know, we're, we've got the money, you need us. Uh, whereas I'm like the exact opposite. I'm like, wow, I'm lucky to be meeting with you, right? And I think that, that you know, I'm sure there, there are investors in Latin America that do that, but I think I've done that from day one. And I think that's helped me build my reputation with, uh, with the founders that I do get a chance to meet. Um, I also think ironically being here in, in Silicon Valley, not kind of in the middle of all the ups and downs, whether there's a presidential election or whatever, um, allows me to be a little bit, maybe more objective and level-headed about, uh, what's going on in, in, in companies. Uh, I know famously Warren Buffett lived in Nebraska, even though, you know, he's arguably the greatest public equity investor of all time wasn't in New York. And I think that was part of the thing. So th this has been a weird irony, like it's not at all, you know, I'm sure there's benefits of obviously being in market, but I think that's one of the benefits of being here. And then third, I'm just connected to this ecosystem, both in terms of other investors uh, that that can potentially back companies that I backed, um, mentorship from, uh, from really experienced VCs and entrepreneurs that are here uh, that I've known for decades. Um, and I think a lot of the founders that I do end up backing kind of view me as almost like a Series A uh, investor, who, a partner to Series A fund here in the U.S., but I'm with them at seed or pre-seed, right? So uh, it turned out to be great, surprisingly. Amazing. And I, I would take San Francisco over Omaha any day of the week. So I, I, I agree with you there. Um, you mentioned, you know, partnerships with the American funds, you know, what that really means. What is something that you would want American investors to know and understand about Latin America and investing in these companies? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing is the talent uh, in Latin America now, um, both in terms of folks, you know, maybe when I was growing up or when I was that age, you know, the default was oftentimes uh, folks would leave Latin America, the the proverbial brain drain, right? I think this happened in India, happened in a lot of places around the world. They'd come to the U.S. for school and stay. And now you're having people definitely, even if they come to the U.S., they go back often. Uh, you have people never leaving, right? Um, and I think with, you know, the benefit of, of companies like Rappi, New Bank and, and some of the early pioneers, they've just created a culture where, you know, um, there's just amazing folks who are going into uh, startups and technology. So number one is that there's amazing talent. Um, and then I think the second thing is that there's still huge opportunities to fix fundamental issues. Uh, you know, all the things that I'm in, interested in, fintech, logistics, and so on, but other areas as well with technology. Um, and as opposed to the U.S., where in anywhere you invest, there's probably already five players. Um, they probably all have gotten some VC backing at some point. And then even if you're successful in building something in that quarry and you try to go into an adjacent market, there are also already five players. In Latin America, it's oftentimes either a white space or the incumbents are all brick and mortar. And you go into that adjacency and there's nobody there. 
So I think um, you got talent and you got huge market, huge problems and huge markets. So, so to me, that's why I'm so excited to be an investor in the space. Amazing. So we went over what you would tell the American investor. What would you tell your younger self knowing what you know now? Um, <laughs> uh, one is to relax. Um, you know, uh, and then the second thing is, is really to spend time doing things that give you energy and around people who give you energy. Yeah. I would say those are, those are the two biggies. Okay. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with uniquely Samia VC twist, what important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Yeah. So I think, um, venture investors need to get involved in helping solve the credit crunch in Latin America. Um, in many cases, VCs, if you say the word lending, they run in the other direction. Um, and I think, uh, you know, appropriately so, right? There's been a lot of uh, examples around the world where uh, I think the Nigel Morris from QED said, lending is like uh, chemistry. You know, if you know what you're doing, it's really cool, but it could blow you up if you don't, right? But I believe, you know, if if the incumbent banks uh, haven't served the market well enough to solve the credit crunch, either for consumers or for small businesses or, or big businesses, then who the hell else is going to solve that problem, right? And so, um, you know, whether it's it's investing in companies that improve the credit scoring algorithms, whether it's in investing in companies that actually lend to gig workers, right? I think uh, VCs need to get involved instead of being afraid. Um, so that's it. I really appreciate that answer. Um, to the super angel, Ron Conway, I mean, Yvonne Montoya, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the CBBC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. No, I appreciate it, Trip. This was fun. Thank you for watching this episode of Simi VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. And don't forget to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.